Hello, and welcome to season two of We Can Be Heroes with Paul Burston. This is the podcast in which my guests are invited to wax lyrical about their heroes and heroines, people who've inspired them and helped shape their lives. I'm an author and journalist, and there are many people I consider heroes, both real and fictional, famous and not so famous. Among them is the late, great David Bowie. And each one says something about me, because the people we regard as heroes often reveal who we are, our strengths and our weaknesses, the struggles we faced, and the times we've shown courage we didn't even know we had. It's been said before, but it bears repeating, not all heroes wear capes. We can all be heroes, even if it is just for one day. You know, he's the person who's completely shaped and changed my life. Something you've never seen in your life. It's like completely changed the world of showbiz. I love her face. I can just look at her face forever. I love her voice. I love the fact she's weird. I love the fact she was a drug addict when she was 13. Poor girl. My guest today is Sue Tilly, friend and biographer of the late Lee Bowery. Sue is also an artist and an artist's muse. She famously posed for Lucy and Freud. Sue and I have moved in similar circles for many years, but only recently became acquainted when she moved to St. Leonard's, where I spend much of my time. This is Sue Tilly on We Can Be Heroes with Paul Burston. Thank you, Sue. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad that we were able to make this time after me letting you down on Sunday. <sighs> I'm used to being let down. So your heroes are anyone who doesn't let you down, basically. That's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Who is the first person that you'd like to talk about and why have you chosen this person? I know it's very boring and obvious, but I've got to say Lee Bowery. You know, he's the person who's completely shaped and changed my life. Not just me, lots of people, I think, as well. I think he's somebody whose legacy for people like me, I'll be honest, when I first encountered Lee, I didn't get it. And then years later, you look back and you realise just how influential he was. And if anything, his stature seems to grow. It's amazing that he's still about. Still, you know, fashion shows that you see, uh, they've just copied that off Lee. Still. Yeah. You know, and people still talk about him. He's still relevant. So he'd be thrilled. I think he'd be more thrilled if he was still alive to enjoy it. But he's not. Yeah. So I'm doing my best to keep him alive. And so a lot of other people. I think I may have conducted the very last interview that he did. It was for Time Out. And I interviewed him at Freedom Bar, where he was doing a performance. Oh, probably was his last one then. Yeah, I think it was. Myself and Dave Swindells, who knew him a lot better than I did. Yeah. We co-wrote the obit in Time Out. Can I take you back to when you first met him and how that came about? How did you first cross paths? I met him at Char Char's, which was a club at the back of heaven that was on the alternative club at the back of heaven on Thursday nights. And he was a friend of a friend and they introduced me. I thought, oh, he's a nice fella, big and chubby. <laughs> And we just started talking. And you know, like, you just meet someone, you're just suddenly your friends. We just got each other. Because we have very similar upbringings, you see. You wouldn't think it. Very religious parents. Did you? I didn't know that. Not very religious, but, you know, went to church every week. In my book, that's very religious. And his parents were in the Salvation Army. And they were sort of very similar sort of people. And, um, you know, brought up just to be quite good. Do you know what I mean? Being told right from wrong and parents... You know, we've always been taken to museums and things, and so was he. Then we went on holiday. We always had to go around blimmin' churches for some unknown reason, which I didn't really like then, but now I quite enjoy looking around an empty church. And um, 
you know, he was the same, brought up. And his parents were really good to him and supportive of him, which my parents are as well. You know, so we had that. Middle class, nice upbringing. Work ethic put into us, you know, we had to work. No real childhood traumas. You know, like, lovely upbringings. <laughs> no traumas at all. And I think we sort of realised that in each other. I mean, he was far more extreme than me, but when he was naughty, he really knew he was being naughty, if you know what I mean. It was like yeah. planned naughtiness. <laughs> it didn't come naturally. What would you say he was rebelling against? Because obviously he was a rebel in many ways. Against normal middle-class upbringings. <laughs> but, I mean, late when he was about to die, he said things like, I'm so glad I was brought up properly. Yeah, because I'm glad that I knew, you know, what was right and what was wrong, because it makes me appreciate wrong even more. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) There's a poet, Jerry Potter, who has appeared at Polari many times from Liverpool, now lives in Manchester, and he has a poem about Lee called Daytime Mild-Mannered Mandrag. good. Yeah, which is all about how he said that for all of Lee's outrageous personas and outfits and the ways that he presented himself, it was the daytime, mild-mannered, mandrag look that he found most subversive. Well, when Lee went abroad, you know, they're obsessed with Benny Hill in Italy and that. People used to shout Benny Hill at him down the street. I've got a picture in a book where Benny Hill's... It's a book by Beryl Reed. Benny Hill's in drag. You would swear on your life that it was Lee. It's hilarious. It just looks so like him, the face and everything. Was he aware of Benny Hill? Of course he was. He knew a lot about popular culture, like me. Any listeners who are too young to remember Benny Hill, Benny Hill was such a huge part of our childhoods. I mean, he was primetime television, doing silly sketches. He wouldn't be allowed there now, would he? With all the girls in bikinis running around after him. But I like the fact the girls in bikinis were quite chubby because, like, the gym didn't exist in those days, did it? So even yeah. models were a bit chubby-ish. <laughs> yeah, those 70s dolly birds, as they were called. Yeah, and lycra wasn't invented, so the bikinis were very sort of baggy. Let's hear it for baggy bikinis. Maybe a knitted bikini or swimming costume, the worst thing on earth. So you, you met Lee at the Cha-Cha's and then you became friends. How did the relationship develop? Just ended up talking on the phone probably two or three hours every day. And the phone was expensive then as well. But texting didn't exist, so you had to chat on the phone. And um, just like used to go out everywhere together. And sometimes I used to help him with little things. But yeah, I'm not the greatest sour on earth. But you know, the pointy hats, I made all them for him and everything. But you know, that wasn't really my job. Because I'm not really like helping. I'm just like, I was there for chit chat and talking and going out. We used we used to go out practically every night. Bearing in mind, I had a proper job and had to be at work by nine. We used to go every night. If someone gave us a flyer for a club, we go. Like, even if it was Elle's Court, miles away, off we go. Sometimes we'd be only two there. But we dance away on that dance floor, keeping it looking busy. And where were you living? I lived in Camden, Moulton Crescent. And he lived in Commercial Road, which in those days was like the back of beyond. You know, not trendy like it is now. It was like really rough. So you'd be out clubbing and then you'd go to work the next day. Yeah, just lie on my desk, feeling ill, going, ah, But I still think I did more work than some other people then. I've got quite a strong constitution, it must be said. You've done so much to keep his legacy alive, writing about him and also with your painting and your 
the t-shirts it feels like a real passion project oh it is you know because i like doing new things as well so it's an excuse to try new things out like designing t-shirts and then when he was 60 i tried to set up an instagram thing of lee barry 60 just to see how to do that and it worked quite well you know so you learn things by trying things out so he's still teaching me things now what were the lessons or the qualities that he inspired in you or you learned from him say yes if someone offers you to do something do it as long as it's not too awful generally i do that um and just be brave put yourself out there i mean you know i'm about a millionth of the oomph he had but you know i still got a little bit and i try and support other people as well try and support other people in what they do i think because there's so many people who could put Lee down as a huge influence in their life and meeting him really changed their life. I think it's really important that people who are on the fringes or on the alternative side of life in whatever way that may be, I think it's almost required of us that we big each other up and help each other out whenever we can because but, life's hard enough already, isn't it? Exactly. So help your mates. Try and inspire them in life. I'll try and keep friends cheerful. Quite difficult. You have to choose more cheerful friends. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have a few friends in common. You're in St. Leonard's and I'm in Hastings. So we have some more friends in common. And they're all pretty cheerful. Yeah, they are. Some of them. I think St. Leonard's brings that out in people, though. It's a lovely place to live. So I think if you're not cheerful here, you're a bit hard-pressed. I mean, just all you need to do, a bit miserable, go and look at the sea at sunset. You just can't believe your eyes that such beauty can exist. You shared a photograph, I think it was yesterday or the day before, on your social of, of the sunset on the scene. It was absolutely stunning. That was purely by mistake. I'd been out for lunch with our mutual friend, Sam. I was getting a lift home. It looked lovely. I thought well, I'd take a picture out the car window. So we were shuffling along. Just took it. I didn't even realise. And then I was looking at home. I was looking at the photos I'd taken. And then suddenly that when I picked it, I went... Oh my goodness, that's fantastic. So it was just pure luck. I'm trying to picture Lee in St. Leonard's now. <laughs> I've been to the most bizarre places with Lee. You can't imagine him. For instance, Cornwall. We had a little funny holiday in Cornwall. But it was hilarious. He dressed, it was like this big empty beach. And he brought, he brought with him on holiday, why you bother, this dress made out of about 200 metres of pink netting. And there he was parading up and down this empty beach, <laughs> this bright pink dress. That's fantastic. I know. It was an amazing sight. I think someone I know has got photos of it, but I haven't. Now I think about it, if you go along from Hastings across to Pet Level, that's where Bowie filmed yeah. the Ashes to Ashes video. So there is a legacy of... In the brochure for the exhibition about him earlier this year in Fitzrovia Chapel, it says he was in that video. I didn't correct them because he'd love that. But I'd like, he'd love people to think that. It also says he was six foot four. And I didn't change that either because he'd love that. How tall was he really? Only about six foot. But you know people, their personality is so huge that they look big. And he always wore heels and that. But you, yeah. maybe six foot one almost. But not nearly as tall as people imagined him. And I think his personality was so huge. It just makes him look huge. Because there was so much going on of different things and doing this and making this and doing that and thinking about this and learning about this. I think it just filled him up. How long has he been gone now? How many years is it? Oh, long. Almost. Almost 30. Oh, it might be 30. Because I think, this is how bright I am. I can't even remember what year he died. <laughs> 
early 90s. I remember there was a famous quote that always stayed in my head where he said, bearing in mind at the time, very, very few people were out or open about their HIV status. The stigma was so extreme. There was a really great quote from him where he said that he wanted to be remembered as a person with ideas, not a person with AIDS. I thought that was a really, really interesting and pertinent and powerful thing to say. Yeah. And he used to think, oh, because I do all these weird things. People go, oh, his brain's gone, he's got AIDS, you know. That's why he's done it. But it wasn't because of that. It's because he wanted to do it. Because he was always pushing the envelope, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. I mean, even in his last moments, in the hospital bed with all these... Goes, oh, I'm going to make an outfit out of this when I get out. You're joking. <laughs> Sad he never got out. It's good to hear that he was still thinking that way. I right know, yeah. The end. Yeah. He hardly ever felt sorry for himself. You know, he just got on with his life. You know, because some people, when they got AIDS, I mean, it's a choice, isn't it? They became a person with AIDS. That was their life, and that's what they wanted it to be. They wanted, you know... But he was the opposite. He didn't want that. But, you know, everyone's different. How they deal with things. That whole landscape has changed so much because oh, yeah. from the time that he died, by the end of that decade, by the end of the 90s, the prognosis was so different because of the medications. Yeah, probably, if he'd lived another six months, he'd probably still be alive now. Same with Derek Jarman. He'd probably still be here as well. I know. But then, bizarrely, you know people I know who were the, some of the first people to get it and then they're still alive? still surviving, and I think some of them find it very difficult because yeah. they were so prepared to die and they haven't. They don't really know what to do. It is a difficult one. Yeah. It is a difficult one because also there's that, there's often an element of survivor's guilt as well. But how am I still here when all my friends are gone, you know? Well, I think Lee is a very good person to have included in this podcast, and I'm glad that we've paid tribute to him because he's somebody that I'm fascinated by and wanted to talk about. So I'm glad that you've you're the perfect person to discuss him with. Who is the next person that you'd like to discuss with me and why have you chosen? Well, the next person is another sort of friend of mine who also would say he was influenced by Lee, who helped him do things. And his name's Bailey Walsh, who should be a million times more famous than he is, but he's very secretive and doesn't like showing off. But he's been a very good friend for a long time and he's, you know, one of the kindest, most helpful thoughtful people you could meet and he has just directed ABBA the voyage which to me is the most incredible thing I've got no comprehension how he did it I mean he's not really the most technical person I know but to do that it's like completely changed the world of showbiz I mean it's not just the point it's ABBA voyage and it's great it's like it's the first thing of that type in the world and I'm sure it will change concerts and music and performances so much. But it's so brilliant. And it's like, when I was a child, my mum told me about the cinema and I couldn't quite work out what it was. I thought, you know, when I went, I was a little bit disappointed. It was just like a big telly. But in my mind, you're in a big room and there was all screens all going around the room with different things happening and live things. And that's exactly what ABBA's like. ABBA Voyage. It's like... It takes up the whole, it surrounds you. It's marvellous. But he's done other, you know, he's done great things as well. He's done marvellous pop videos, a couple of which I've been in. Tell me about the pop videos. 
Uh, what one was I in? Oh, Generations of Love by um, Boy George. Oh, my God. It's so fantastic because he's obsessed with drag queens and Phil, like me, a bit. Loves a drag queen. And Lee was in that as well. And we all had to dress up like whores, basically, and just parade around the streets of Soho. But he was filming it out of a window in Old Compton Street. So no one knew we were actually being filmed. They thought we were real whores. Ivan had got, Ivan got offered a bit of money. <laughs> and Lee did the um, outfits for that, you know, the art direction. Cost, he did the costumes for it, which were hilarious, over the top, as you can imagine. And um, the first time I ever wore a pair of white stilettos. And they had a little white bow on the back, really classy. So he did that. he's done lots of things with Massive Attack. And do you know the video for Unfinished Sympathy? That it's just one shot. He did that as well. And that was really groundbreaking as well because it was the first time anyone done a one-shot video. That it sounds like it'd be easy, but it really isn't. I can imagine. Yeah. Lee was the um, costume person of that one. They had a bit of a row. Because Lee didn't like Bailey going out in a white vest. Because <laughs> Bailey's very good-looking. And so he looked gorgeous in the white vest. And Lee's going, why are you wearing that? But really, it's because he was a little bit jealous. <laughs> How long have you known Bailey for? 40 years, something like more. I think I met him at Camden Palace. But, you know, he had a very... Because he was brought up in Essex and that and used to hang around the fairground when he was a young boy working on the ghost train, jumping out at people and that. Then I think he ran away from home when he was 15, ended up in London robbing things from um, Portobello Market and that. You know, and he ended up being caught and being sent to Borstal. <laughs> but... It did him well because he only like he left and thought that's it. I'm changing my life. I'm not, life of crime isn't for me. And so he, I think he ended up as a gold coin dealer by mistake and lived in California. And then he saw he they moved into a flat or something and there was an old newspaper on the floor with an advert for naked dancers. So he ended up as a naked dancer at Raymond's Review Bar, which sounds fantastic. And through that though he got a lovely flat in Charing Cross Road which he's lived in for 40 years, just on the corner of Leicester Square. And um, and then he was a dancer for Bananarama. I heard a rumour, I think you can see him dancing around in the background. And then he went out with um, John Maybury, who was a sort of very well-respected art house filmmaker, video maker, who made the very famous um, Nothing Compares to You video for Sinead. You know, he learned about film a bit from John, then decided he'd make a video a film himself and he got all his friends to dress up in drag. This is the time of Kinky Galinky, which is a very famous London drag club. And so there's all his friends dressed up in drag and he filmed them. And then I think I think Boy George saw it and that's why I gave him the Generations of Love video. And so it all went on from there. And then then he had times where he didn't have much work and was really sort of a bit fed up, but still carried on. And then people always like him, they meet him. And I've never heard one single person say a bad word about him. And that's very rare, isn't it? John made a film with Daniel Craig in, Love is the Devil, and then Daniel Craig was in that. And then him and Bailey became really, really good friends. And so he agreed to be in this film that Bailey wanted to make called Flashbacks of a Fool, which was it's a marvellous film. And he got what he always wanted, a premiere in Leicester Square. Because he lives so near to Leicester, you know, practically on Leicester Square. It's like 
you can't believe I've actually got a premiere. And it was so exciting. But sadly, the film got very poor reviews, and I don't know why. And he was so, you know, when you're so upset, you've worked so hard, and it got it all made, and I don't really know. I can't understand how anyone could make a film. It's too complicated for me. But the thing is, it's become a bit of a cult classic, and now it's very, very popular, which is lovely. So he's a real proper hero, because loads of people have never heard of him, because he keeps himself very quiet. Though he has a very glamorous life, he never brags about it, and he's not on social media and doesn't, you know keeps himself private. From what you're saying, he's someone who's kept at it, regardless of whether he's had success or acclaim. Exactly. All the setbacks, he still carried on. Writing films and goodness knows what. Writing things that never come to anything, but still does it and still carries on. And then out of the blue, this job just appeared. The Abba one. I mean, he was working on practically every day for three years and have a day off. All the hours God sends. So there was about 500 people working on it. He was sort of managing. And all the technical stuff was like brand new. That had never been done before. So, I mean, of course he worked with experts. <laughs> we told them what he wanted, then they made it happen. But it's just... And the thing as well, it's really... It's not arty-farty at all. It's very accessible for everyone. And there's little touches in it that are so proper like certain members of the band have a little chit chat with the audience making stupid jokes about the names of the Dockland light railway stations and that really realistic but very relatable to everyone the only thing is he didn't realize they get such a huge applause for their little jokes that sometimes you don't hear what they're saying because there's too much clapping going on I've never met Bailey I've been aware of him for a long time but I've never actually met him we were at a launch for Julia and Will's shop in St Leonard's and there was a rumour that Bailey was there. Was he there? He was. Him and his friend Eric came down in the day. We went out for lunch. He's been down here a couple of times. Quite likes it. Didn't stay that long, so he had to get back to London. But it was so lovely of him. That's like so supportive of his old friends that he'd come to that. Because, you know, he's been friends with Julia for years. She was in the fabulous Generations of Love video as well. And so was Tallulah. Yeah, Tallulah. And um, Rachel Auburn, who lives here, and everyone, it was hilarious. Les Chard was in it. Oh, it was hilarious. We had such fun. I want to go and watch the video again now and see who I can spot. I know. <laughs> well, Bailey, so, go on, sorry. I was going to say, so that's why he's one of my heroes. Probably hate me for saying he's one of my heroes. Because of his longevity or because he's so supportive of his friends or both? Both, and what he's done. I mean, because yeah. he's a lovely person. And what he supported with his friends and what he's achieved. I mean, as I said, I think the ABBA's world, you know, life, not life changing, world changing. I mean, people go every week. Some people, they love it so much. It's incredible. I mean, I was on the train going to London. And I bumped into someone I knew and I was telling him about, I've just been to ABBA, telling him all about it and everything. Then this man next to me went, oh, were you there? And I went, yes, I was there. I'm in the ABBA fan club and we won tickets to the opening. It was the best night of my life. <laughs> and you, there's never been a bad review, nothing. All I've heard from anyone who's been is everyone just said, you have to go, it's game-changing. Well, hats off to Bailey for that. Indeed. No, as we say to him, chapeau. He likes saying that. So who's the next person, Sue? Right, I'm going to go for a girl, a famous person. But 
I have to say, I'm not really an obsessive person, so I never really get too overly obsessed with people. Like, I used to say I really worship Take That. I haven't even got any Take That albums. But anyway. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got a couple, but only I haven't got any new ones. But, oh, I'm very, very keen on Drew Barrymore, as much as I can be keen on anyone. You know, for, she's very unusual for an actress. I love her face. I can just look at her face forever. I love her voice. I love the fact she's weird. I love the fact she was a drug addict when she was 13, poor girl. <laughs> but I love the fact she's kind of still carries on. I've seen pictures of her smoking weed and that. You know what I mean? She's not like clean, clean. She's, I think she had quite a few fellas. She gets through the marriages. I like that. And still, and one of my favourite films, <laughs> how sad I am, Music and Lovers with her and Hugh Grant. Oh my God, that film. <laughs> I love it. It's so dreadful. I love it. And she's so lovely in it. I still remember seeing her in E.T. when I was a kid. I took my kid sister to see E.T. She was my kind of, what's the word, my beard, you know, my excuse yeah. for going to see this film <laughs> was my little sister. And getting really emotional. and But also being really struck by just how, what an astonishing young actress she was because child actors can be so annoying can't they it's not a path to go down i mean i haven't got any children if i had i wouldn't put them on the stage they all end up with drug addicts mental it's a terrible path there's very few that have turned out kind of normal isn't there? she's obviously from that whole family acting dynasty yeah. so it was kind of inevitable in a way what a lovely face you know she's not pretty pretty in a pretty person sense just something about her face is so lovely. I did watch a pro series she's in, I didn't like it, where she kept eating people. It wasn't my cup of tea. I couldn't carry on watching it, it was horrible. See, I like a nice, simple romance in life, it's a film I like. I do think that some of the decisions she's made are very canny. I mean, when she was in the first Scream film, now we're so used to seeing those horror films that are kind of self-conscious and, and ironic but at the time it was quite a groundbreaking film and the fact that Drew Barrymore who is the most famous person in it at the time that her character is dispatched with really quickly it's, it was actually really shocking because it was Drew Barrymore you thought they paid her she better be in the whole film it was a really really good piece of casting yeah she always comes across really well in interviews I remember her being interviewed by Ruby Wax that kind of shtick that she has and Drew was just so chilled about it all. She doesn't seem to take herself too seriously. Exactly, yeah, that's why I like her as well. Yeah, she's not got that, oh, I'm Drew Barrymore. And I like the fact she falls in love with an Irish barman, marries him and divorces him a week later. <laughs> Some such tale. I wonder how many of the tales about her are true and how many are false and whether she cares. I think just make up the more stories she lies about yourself, the better. It's quite entertaining. What is your favourite Drew Barrymore performance? Music and lyrics. Oh, and I, I love the other one as well, where she goes back in time. She's a teacher and she pretends to be a student. Oh, my God, what's that called? 17 again or something like that. Uh, that's really... I've seen that loads of times. That's good. And there's a little vulnerability in it. Oh. And the 41st dates. Oh, my best friend's wedding. Is she in Besson's wedding? No, perhaps she isn't. Perhaps I just made that up. Perhaps I just got confused. Maybe she is, maybe she isn't. I don't think she is. <laughs> that told you I wasn't obsessive, didn't I? I'll check that, and if it's not correct, I'll just yeah. edit it out. No, I don't care if people think I've got it wrong. It shows I'm not obsessive. <laughs> 
Well, I'm a big fan of Drew Barrymore. And I think also the fact that she's somebody who, despite the problems that she had when she was younger, the fact that she was in this industry, which is very tough on young people, and that she had those much publicized addictions, that she's a survivor. Definitely a big fan of Drew. Who is the next person you'd like to? It's a friend of mine called Rui Miguel Leteo Ferreira. And I met him nine years ago, I think. I met him because of Lee, really. Because of Lee, I met Lucian. And because of Lucian, I get offered lots of weird things to do. And I was asked to be a model for the kids' company. You know that, with that funny woman who always got in big trouble? Yeah. Head wraps. And because a friend of mine worked there, and he said, oh, can we fundraiser for Christmas parties? Will you do modelling? And we'll invite people and they have to pay to come. I went, oh, yeah, of course I will. And he goes, we do it naked. I went, no, sorry, I won't, too old. And he goes, oh, all right, can you find an art teacher? So I found an art teacher, and the art teacher brought someone along who was going to do nude modelling. Then me and my friend who was there who asked me, who was gay, we were going, is he gay? Is he straight? What's going on? It's a funny fella. <laughs> and anyway, he decided to come and talk to me. And since that very day, we've been more or less best friends. <laughs> and that was nine years ago. Came round my house, and then a week later he came round and bought me a packet of Karen Dush crayons. I said, start drawing again. Come on, you've got to start drawing. So I did, because he stood over me while I did it. Because I thought he was a model. He'd been to Goldsmiths doing an MA, but he was just like art modelling when I met him. But I didn't realise that was part of a big project, so that he's an artist, and he's a bit of an exhibitionist. He likes people staring at him. And finally, about nine sort of six years later the actual work has come out of that modeling but anyway so he drew me a lot he made me draw and i put some pictures i'd drawn on facebook i got offered an exhibition an art exhibition just like that and i did train to be an art teacher i wasn't completely useless but that's weird isn't it so that's he started off my whole career as an artist and a painter which has been quite enjoyable even now every day he moans at me if i haven't drawn it i mean Hardly ever see him. He lives, I've got to say, he lives in Portugal now. He's Portuguese. I mean, the first year I knew him, he lived in London. But I only see him about once a year. But we talk every day. And sometimes he sends me a little thing I've got to draw every day, some bizarre picture. So I, it forces me to draw things. Like, probably the most famous picture was me sniffing poppers on a surfboard. That was one of his <laughs> ideas. <laughs> He's very thin and small, and I'm a great big old lump. And so, and he's 20 years younger than me. So we looked rather strange together. But, um, so, and then I had to draw pictures where, like, I'm holding up in an ice skating competition and weird things like that. But anyway, he's been drawing a lot of pictures of me. And then next year, it's going to be a big exhibition of all the pictures he's done of me and him that are um, going to be on in a gallery in Lambeth, well, Vauxhall. And they're very strange because in them, I'm, I'm fully dressed and in them he's usually naked. He's so obsessed with being naked. And there's one, see, I don't even think they're rude because I forget they're taking place because he walks around naked the whole time. So it's just like, you know, you just think nothing of it. And there's like, when he came to see me last time, he started pissing in the bucket in front of me. Just thought, oh, all right. But I didn't realise he was taking photos and now there's a painting of it. <laughs> but some people will think, God, these are really weird pictures. But um, I like them because I understand how they happened. He encouraged you to paint and draw again. Yeah. 
did he also encourage you to do the during lockdown? You were doing some online. No, he didn't. He, but he, he joined in. He was a model on one of them, and now that was because I did because of my I've been doing art and that. Someone asked me to do uh, art class at a pub here, which I did. And then lockdown, of course, I couldn't do it. But then they, you know, Hastings, it's very, very creative. These people yeah. set up a company, Isolation Station Hastings, which was a local television programme. It was so lovely. You know, some good things did come out of the lockdown. And so I did a quiz on that and an art class every week. And it was good because I interviewed all my friends because I thought it was art class and chit-chat. So I chatted to people while people were drawing them. But some people just listened for the chit-chats. Couldn't be, they got carried away and couldn't be bothered drawing. But um, it, was re- it was a lovely experience and it really brought people together. You mentioned there briefly Lucian. Obviously, you famously posed for Lucian Freud. And you've been an artist's model. You are an artist and you've also run art classes. I'm just steeped in art, aren't I? I am. I am art. You are art. I am. <laughs> who who nearly said that in different words? <laughs> ich bin Kunst. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we're continuing the legacy. I know. Um, what was I going to say about that? I can't remember. So anyway, next year, prepare yourself for me fully clothed and a very handsome, attractive man naked. There you go. <laughs> but he's like, you know, a proper artist who... Everything they do, I say I'm art. He really is art. Everything he does is art. And you know people with tons of energy who are doing everything in every minute of every day? Well, I'm very happy just to lie on the sofa. Quite a lot. And he, um, he like, he does surfing and skateboarding and all that, but that's all part of his art, really. And he just sometimes, he can knock out 10 paintings in a the day. They're incredible. Because he came here uh, for a, a month and stayed in a studio on the front. And he's done some amazing pictures of the sea by the Azure. But he has exhibitions all over the world now. But he's not really interested in making money. He just wants people to see his art. And lives the life. You know, like, we read about Lucy and Freud. You know people, artists, and they just do what they want and think it's right and they don't think anything bad about what they do? He's a bit like that. What he thinks is right is right. And you can't really argue with him, even though it's not right. <laughs> But maybe it is right. Who knows? What I think right and what he thinks right, who knows which one of us is right? I think it's that single-mindedness, isn't it? And I think that's probably something that all the people that you've talked about share. Yeah, and something that I'm not blessed with. I think everything that's happened to me in life is not down to hard work, it's down to luck. <laughs> and knowing the right friends and knowing the right people. But you can still admire those qualities in others. Of course I can. I'm incredibly sort of envious of having that energy where you're up and out doing, you know. If I don't have to get up, I'm happy to stay in bed till 12. You know, happily. Faffing around on my phone. He'll be up at, if he wakes up five o'clock, he's up, out, going for a run, looking at the sea, going for a swim in the cold water, getting back, painting three pictures. That's not me. This would be me. Sit on the settee, watch the telly, then go in my room, lay on my bed, read a book, then look on my phone for a little minute. That's about it. And then paint something or draw something. Oh, yeah, paint something. Yeah, and I, I do keep up. I answer me emails and I do that kind of thing. I do keep up to date. Well, long may you continue in this way. And I look forward to this exhibition. Did you say it's next I'm not sure exactly. Next year sometime. He's very secretive on details as well, Mr Ferreira. 
I don't know why. I'll be advertising it, don't worry. Well, that's great, Sue. Thank you very much for talking to me today. I really oh, enjoyed talking very to you. Enjoyed. Especially as I didn't know what it was till two days ago. I thought <laughs> chit chat. I think oh, I've done that a hundred times. This was something nice. I like to think. Lovely questions. Thank you. My pleasure. You take care. My thanks to Sue for being such a great guest. And to find out more about her and her work, please follow her on Twitter or Instagram at Sue Tilly One. Coming up soon on We Can Be Heroes. This is Matthew Hodson on We Can Be Heroes with Paul Burston. It's not just about what she's achieved. It's something about what she sparked in me when I was a child. And there was this woman with this bright orange and red hair jumping up and down, wearing this brilliant kind of warrior dress and we you know with bits of metal. And she was so opposite to that kind of male gaze female pop star that we were so used to seeing and I gave the worst audition probably <laughs> in all of human history you know and I'm not saying I'm comparable to them but they've inspired me they've pushed me forward they've they've helped shape me as a person this has been we can be heroes with Paul Burston please subscribe and join me next time thanks for listening <laughs>